Let's turn together in the scripture. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to turn to the second book of Peter, second Peter in chapter three, second Peter in chapter three. And we're just going to read one verse by way of introduction, second Peter chapter three and the verse nine. Second Peter chapter three and the verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. And we know God will bless the public reading of his inerrant and infallible word. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your precious truth, and we thank you it is the truth that sets us free. We thank you, Lord, for this glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus, and we pray just now, Lord, for the anointing and help of the Holy Spirit to invade this gathering. We pray a hedge and a wall round about us of thy divine warriors and that you would cleanse and purify the atmosphere and fill it with light, power in thy presence. I ask, Lord, as I give myself completely to you, that you would cleanse me and sanctify me and just grant that anointing that breaks the yoke. And I pray that people will be set free tonight. I ask it and give glory to your great name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The God of heaven wants all men to be in heaven. Every man that ever was created from Adam to the last, he wants all to be saved. The Bible is explicit on this point. In the book of Ezekiel, it says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from their way and live. Turn ye, O turn ye, for why will ye die? If God is longing for all men to be saved, for all men to be made right with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, then the question has to be, why are you not saved? If God longs for you to be in heaven, then why tonight, whether you're in this gathering or you're listening through some other means or media, Why is it that you are not saved? Well, I'm sure there are some Christians who will be listening and they'll say, Alan, I can give you the answer, and I'm sure you'd be right. And the one that comes always to mind is that the devil has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in. And that's absolutely right. The devil doesn't blind you, my friends, with regard to geometry. 
He'll not blind you with regard to gardening. But he will blind you regarding to the gospel. That's why very, very intelligent men are not saved. Because the devil blinds the mind, the intellect. Lest the light of the glorious gospel would shine in. Now I could end there, but I want to be a little bit more specific for people that are listening. You see, friends, the devil has many, many methods of blinding people. And just as we all have different appetites, and we have desires for different types of food that attract us, so in like manner, the devil has different methods for different people to blind them. He doesn't throw the one net over everyone. He has different recipes <laughs> to keep people blinded. And I want to go through some of them practically for us tonight that perhaps you listening, this will be able to help you to see just the area where you have been blinded, where you're not saved yet. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will open your understanding and that you'll really grasp that God loves you, that the Lord Jesus came to earth to die for you, and that before this meeting is over, that you will know him as your Savior and your Lord, and that your life will be completely, permanently, and eternally changed, and that you'll be a child of God. The first thing that the devil brings to many people comes into the category of what we would call good people. Now, of course, the Bible says there's none good, no, not one, but we know what we mean when we talk about good people. Nice people. People that go to church. People that don't steal. People that would never be found involved in murder. People that never get involved with the police or into trouble like that. And they're decent neighbors and, and they're churchgoers. And, and those are the first category that the devil aims at. And the thing that he tells them in their mind is that you are so good, you don't need to be sealed. You don't need to be born again. You don't need any experiences like that of new birth. That's, that's just for rascals and rogues. That's just for terrorists and murderers and really bad people. That born again, you after all, you have gone to church, you were baptized as an infant. I want to tell you, friend, if you were baptized as an infant, as one said, you might be wetter, but you'll be no better. And if I thought infant baptism would put people into the kingdom of God, I wouldn't preach, but I would have a fire brigade following me wherever I went, and I would let loose with a fire hose over everybody in the church if I thought that was the means you see, the Bible's very clear that they that believe were baptized, if you read it in the Bible. They that believe were baptized. I've never yet a child yet that believed. 
Remember a boy told me one time, he said, I remember the nurse after I was born lifting me and putting me into, uh, into the wee thing to weigh me. <laughs> I felt the very same, just what you're thinking. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that boy has been doing something funny. He's taking something. But there's no child that believes. You see, my dear friends, to believe, you have to understand the gospel. You have to know that Jesus came and died for you on the cross. And that if you repent of your sin, he'll come into your life. And then you're baptized. That's the way it is. Now, I'm not here to hammer infant baptism or anything. I'm not here to do that. But what I am here to tell you is that if you're leaning on that to get to heaven, you'll not be in heaven. I'm here to tell you that. There are people, whenever there's trouble in the community, if there's been a death, they're the first ones there. And they bring trays of sandwiches. And they're good people in that regard. And I commend them for their kindness. And uh, where I lived, we had many neighbors who were not Christians. And let me tell you what I discovered, that many of the ones who weren't Christians were nicer than the ones that professed they were. I often think about the wee girl and she said to her mommy, she must have been in Northern Ireland, but she said to her, she said, Mommy, where does God put all the Christians that are not nice? <laughs> you see, my dear friends, the Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Now, if you're listening to me and you're thinking, Alan, I don't like what you're saying because my minister told me or my priest told me or my rabbi told me or my imam told me, if I do good, I'll get to heaven. Well, that's all very well, my friend, but I wouldn't be a bit interested what your clergy would say and you shouldn't be interested what I should say. You should be interested in what God has to say. After all, it's him that makes the decision where we go. It's his heaven and his hell. I wouldn't like to be leaning on a clergyman, no matter my friend, nor would you lean on me. Because the Bible says the blind follow the blind and they all fall into the ditch. So you would need to be sure that what you've been taught is in the Bible. You would need to be sure that this is what God says. And God says, by grace, that means unmerited favor. You know, friends, the only reason I'll be in heaven is simply because Jesus died for me. The only reason I'll be in heaven is simply because God, in his great mercy and love, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary. And on that cross of Calvary, he bore my sins in his own body on the tree. He died the just for the unjust that he might bring me to God. And as a 17-year-old, there was a faithful uh, burning evangelist came to this district when I was a young man living in this area. And I went to hear that wonderful evangelist and he told me the truth and he told me that I would need to be saved and he told me that going to church wasn't good enough although my church told me it was but I'm so glad that man came 
Because as I heard that gospel, I realized in my heart that all my religion, and I was religious, I was never in a public house until I became a Christian. That doesn't sound good, sure doesn't. But the only time I ever went into a public house was to give out tracts after I got saved. I was never in one as a child. Every time we used to pass them in the local village, my mother always said in the front, it was like a mantra every time you went into the village, there's that dirty old pub. And that was all I ever heard. And I thought, well, if it's as dirty as she's saying, there's no point in going out. It was a good mantra. It kept me out of the bar. But dear friends, I had all that religion and church going. I used to cycle to church. Cycle to it. And heard nothing that would bring me to salvation. But an evangelist came. And he told us the message of the gospel and how that Jesus loved us. And that even as religious people, that all our good works were like filthy rags in God's sight. The Bible says that. Isaiah 64 and 6. All our righteousnesses, all our good works are filthy rags. Imagine meeting God with filthy old rags. You'd want to have pure garments that Jesus would give you. Because when you trust Jesus as your Savior, he gives you a white garment, linen, white. And you're made right before God and you're white in his presence. Now, there are many people over the years I have talked to and they've said, Alan, I, I just believe that if you do good and, you know, and maybe you're listening and you're thinking that. I want to ask you this one question on this point finally. Now, I want you to listen carefully. If you can get to heaven by being good, if you can get to heaven by baptism, sacraments, Lord's Supper, Mass, whatever it might be, if you can do it, whatever the church prescribes for you, if you can get to heaven by doing all that stuff and paying all that money and doing all you have to do, answer this question. Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? Sure, it was ridiculous for Jesus to die on the cross if you can get to heaven by being good and going through the rituals of the church. Sure, God was the biggest fool ever to send Jesus. Jesus would have been far better staying up on the throne and saying, listen, Father, there's no point in me going down to earth and going through all that cross and Calvary and all that. There's no point in me going through that because they can get here themselves. Sure, it's stupid. It's illogical. It's ridiculous. And yet the masses believe it. They'll have gone today in their thousands upon thousands all over Ireland. And they've believed the great lie of the devil. That you're that good. You don't need to be saved. But then there's another group. They're on the other side. You're so bad. You can't be saved. You're a rascal. Your heart's as black as hell. There's not a seed of sin that's not in you, and there's not a thing you haven't done. You couldn't be forgiven. God couldn't have mercy on you. Sure, look what you've done all those years ago, and you're still haunted by it. She'd be terrified if every, anybody even knew what you did. The devil says you couldn't be saved. 
You couldn't be in among the Lord's people. So you couldn't be in the permanent. How would you ever be in heaven with what we, you have done? I want you to turn with me, if you have a Bible, to the little book of 1 Timothy. The little book of 1 Timothy. And hopefully I'll be able to find one in my Bible as well. Because I had it earlier on, but it has jumped away somewhere. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now this is the Apostle Paul, the man that wrote most of the New Testament that's writing. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to give you a moment to let you get it. Because I know some of you have become Christians, and I'm not only here to preach the gospel, which is important, but I want to help those who have become Christians so that you can understand better just what Jesus has done for you and that you'll be able to tell your loved ones and explain to them how Jesus saved you and why they need to be saved. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul is writing. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into, this, in, into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And then he says, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern of them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. You say, Alan, what did all that mean? Well, let's just simplify it. Paul's saying, I have been kind of set forward as a prototype. A prototype is kind of the first thing. And he said, God, when he saved me, he took the chief. He took the top sinner. He took the worst rascal. Paul was a murderer. Paul killed Christians. Paul murdered wee babies. Paul tore families apart. He went in and ransacked churches, lovely Christians meeting together to pray. And he went in and he tore them apart. And he did everything he could do to destroy these people that believed in Jesus because it was destroying his religion that he loved. You see, religion always hates the gospel. It always hates the gospel. Religion. And so he said, Jesus saved me. And you remember he was saved on the Damascus Road. Jesus said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> I say, when you attack the Lord's people, you attack the Lord. He said, why are, you, why are you hurting me? He had never seen Jesus before that, but he was hurting his church, hurting his people. Why do you attack me? And Paul was wonderfully converted. And then he said, I am the chief of sinners. Now, listen, I'm from Ireland. I have a relative intelligence, but I can grasp this one. If God saved the chief, then he can get the Indian. If God got the top boy and got him into the kingdom, he can get you too. And I don't care whether you're a rapist, a murderer, a transgender, a homosexual, a pervert. I don't care what life you've lived or a liar or a thief or you've got in and out of prison. I don't care what sin you've committed. Listen, the Bible says, all manner of sin shall be forgiven unto men. 
That's the wonderful thing about the gospel. It reaches the vilest sinner. It reaches the darkest life. Doesn't matter what you've done. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. All sin. That's good news. Boy, I was glad to hear it whenever the preacher told me anyway. All sin meant the sins I had forgot about. They're covered. The things I didn't know about and that, uh, that had been gone and sins of omission, that uh, things I should have done and hadn't done, didn't know about them, they're covered too. You see, my dear friends, when Jesus saves, he does it completely. He saves complete sinners completely. He's a wonderful Savior. And my joy in life is knowing him and knowing his salvation. So I want to tell you tonight that you're not too bad. You're not too bad. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus will welcome you. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will pardon you. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He'll receive you. And if you're in a prison cell, or whether it's a literal one, or maybe it's some sin that you're committing, maybe it's your mental health, maybe, my friend, there's terrible things have happened to you during your life. I don't know, but I want to tell you that you can go to the psychiatrist, and you can go to the psychologist, and you can go to all these people, and they may give you a little bit of help, and thank God for medication. I'm not here, thank God for medics, but I want to tell you, my dear friend, there is a physician in Gilead. There's one who can heal, and his name is Jesus. And he can heal your mind, he can heal your heart, he can heal your spirit, he can make you whole. Because the gospel that he proclaimed, he didn't leave people lying broken behind him. But when Jesus met people, he left them rejoicing. He left them complete. He left them whole. And he's the same Jesus today that comes. He said, uh, uh, Paul, when writing the Hebrews, he said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, the devil says you're too good. And then he says, you're too bad. But then the next one comes and you say, Alan, I would love to be a Christian. I'd love to have a relationship with God and know I was going to heaven. But my problem is, I don't believe you could know. I remember when I was at school, many, many decades ago now, <laughs> when I was at school in Dungannon here, there was, we were in a mixed class. And there was a lovely young girl, I forget her name now, but she was Roman Catholic and I had got saved. And I went in and I told them I had got saved and she was very nice. She worked in the local parochial house with the priests and she helped to clean their houses. And so we got into discussion and her and I used to have great chats about salvation and knowing the Lord. And uh, I said to her, well, I know I'm going to heaven. And she said, boy, that's wonderful. Alan, that's great. You know, that's amazing. She says, you know, I, I, I'm taught that I'll have to believe until uh, the last day. I'll just have to wait till the last day. I says, that's a bit extreme, waiting to the last day, and then the last day, you're not right. What good's that? That's terrible. Many years ago, I was traveling over to England. I hadn't traveled much beyond Dungannon here, never probably been in the motorway, so anything beyond a B-class road was motorway to me. And uh, I went over to England and got on to what was called the M6. There was that many lanes, I didn't know what to do with them. I really didn't. I had a sister sitting up beside me in the car. She was navigating. We were going to Stafford in England to meet another sister. 
As we were traveling down, we were getting nearer the place, and she had the map beside me. And she was looking, and she was directing, and lorries were coming, and if I was going a bit slow on the inside lane, the lorries would come, big, those big, big lorries, and they would pull the air horn, it would nearly blow you off the road, and you would try to pull out a bit, and then she'd say, oh, I think it's the next turn off, and you were in, and, and it was getting pretty tense. And then she would say, you have to go in now. And then you'd go to go in. And she'd say, no, it's not right now. That's not the right one. And you're in and out. And the blood pressure went up in me and her. I often said afterwards I, I would have been as well with a big maximatosis rabbit sitting beside me reading the map. It would have been as much use. And she was supposedly directing me. And I can tell you the tensions rose. And we had to open the windows. And the steam got up in the car. And words were passed that weren't, weren't I tell you, you wouldn't want to repeat some of them. And it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And we were going on eventually a big thing, Stafford. And she said, there it is. And, and we got off and the lorry's out of the way and got up onto the lane and we're driving up the lane. And you know, you know, peace settled. Boy, it came down. Peace. We started to close the windows up again. And steam started to evaporate out of the car and started to be civil to each other again. And what changed it? What made the difference? What brought the peace? We knew we were on the right way. We knew we were on the right road. And my friends, whenever you know you're on the right road, you'll have peace. I wouldn't dare put my soul into the hand of a minister or a priest or a rabbi. I wouldn't dare. It's too precious. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I wouldn't, my friend, I wouldn't put my soul into the hand of any man. It's too precious. I put it into the hand of Jesus. Put it into his hand. Safe with him. Isn't that what we sing? Safe in the arms of Jesus. Well, I want to tell you, my dear friends, the Bible says, and I remember I used to say to this young girl whenever we would debate, she used to bring... She used to bring these wee messages back from the parish priest. I would send her wee messages, and she would come back after talking to him. And uh, I used to, and she'd come back, and he'd say this, that, and the other. And, and I obviously was getting, I must have been getting near to the knuckle, because I kept sending them. And then one day she said, the parish priest said not to talk to you anymore. And the funny thing was, I did laugh at it, he was the first prophet ever in my life because what, the, what he said to her was, he says, if you keep at it with that boy, that boy will end up like that evangelist, Sam Workman, that came to Dungannon. That's what the priest said. He told me that. Well, that'd be lovely to become like Sam Workman. <laughs> Getting too near the knuckle. What does the Bible say? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, listen carefully. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. There's no last day there. There's no waiting for the future by and by and hoping that prayers and cards and, 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 and people doing things will help you. My dear friends, you can have salvation now here on this earth. You can know that you're going to heaven better than what you know the day you're dying. I know I'm going to heaven. Mightn't look like much, but it'll look better in heaven. 
But I know I'm going there. I know I'm a candidate. I know I'll walk streets of gold. I know I'm going to meet Jesus. I know I'm going to be in heaven with my loved ones. I know I'm going to meet my mother and my father. I know I'm going to meet people that came to Jesus and have passed on people in this church that I knew from years gone by and sat in prayer meetings. I'm going to meet those people in heaven. I'm going to meet those people. Hey, friend, I never look at the grave and say that's the end. For the child of God, that's just the beginning. Just the beginning. A million years from now, I'll be skating around heaven. No glasses. No glasses. No pain. No hurt. Great. Wonderful. You can know. Now, some people say, well, Alan, I'd love to be a Christian. And I know, but you know, I'm a quiet soul. And you know, you have to stand for the Lord. And I, I, I don't know that I could stand up or speak out for him. And, you know, I couldn't tell anybody. Couldn't tell. I Believe it or not, when I was a lot younger, I'm still a wee bit shy. Believe it or not, I try to work my way out of it, but I am. I'm quite shy. And I certainly was shy when I was younger. But I remember meeting this girl from the Isle of Harris in the western coast of Scotland. And I met this girl and something happened to me. I don't know what it was, but Nicholson said, if it happens to you either, get married or get buried, one or the other. That's what he said. So I said I'd get married. We went out for a while and got engaged, and then we used to go different cities or different places on days out. Vera said to her, listen, we're engaged to be married, and I really love you. And so we're going down the mall here in Armagh, and it's a lovely place, beautiful. But you see, Rachel, there's, there's people in around the mall know me. So if you wouldn't mind, would you go down the far side? And I'll go down the near side and the Presbyterian side. Would you go down to the Orange Hall side? Well, if I had had a frying pan for a shirt and tie, that would have been justified. Although, thankfully, she doesn't throw frying pans. But there'd be something wrong, wouldn't there? <laughs> you see, friends, when you love someone, you will be with them. You want to be with them. And whether you like it or not, you just talk about them. And conversation comes up about them all the time because you're with them. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. So it's no problem talking about him because if you really love him and he comes into your life, you'll have no problem telling people about this wonderful person that has transformed. And what you'll find is whenever people come into your home or people you meet, you'll be looking for opportunities to find, how can I talk to them? I've always CDs and I've always tracks in my house. And if anybody comes to do the electric or anybody comes for coal, or anybody, always try to manage some way to get around them and maneuver into them. And I try to be courteous and I try to be nice and I try every trick in the trade in order to get that into their hand that they will take that. And I said, remember a boy came to do, a couple of years ago, he came to do painting for me. And he said that we were chatting at the table and boy, he was drinking the tea and eating away. 
And he says to me, and what do you do? I says, oh, well, I tell people how to get to heaven. I've never seen a boy swallow a burger as quick. And he got the tea down him, and he was out like a shot. I thought, that boy's not going to be. And he was two weeks at the house, and he could see him eyeing me every time. I thought, this boy has been, he knows what could happen. And I decided I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to intimidate him, and I'm not going to. But what I did was I left him alone. And when it came to leaving him, I paid him all his money. And you need to pay your bills, by the way. And I paid him his bill. And I said to him, you know, I didn't preach to you. He said, I know you didn't. He says, I was waiting for you. I says, I know you were. But I said, I know that. And I said, but I'd like you to do something. I, I said, that CD will not corner you. I says, you can turn that off if you don't like it. And give it to him. You see, friends, when you get to know Jesus, you'll want others to know Jesus as well. It's one of the signs of being a Christian. If you have no interest in others becoming a Christian, it's very questionable if you're one. It's very questionable. You can't tell. Now, there's many persons under conviction of sin, and the Holy Spirit shows them their sinfulness, and they know they need to be saved. And they want to be saved, but the devil comes and he said, you know what will happen? <laughs> if you get saved, you'll be miserable. I remember the mission I got saved at. I believe, looking back, probably the devil planted the man, but he, he ran a, 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 a prayer meeting, this man, in the local village. And he was sitting two rows in front of me, and, and Sam Workman was preaching, and conviction of sin was on my life. Boy, did I know I was unsaved. Did I know I was going to hell? And every night he preached and told us we were sinners and we needed to be saved. And I wanted to be saved. One night, whenever I was sitting, thinking it over in my mind, will I decide for Christ? What will I do? And I looked over and I saw this man sitting at the end of the pew. And the devil said, if you get saved, you'll be like him. It was bad enough that he had a face like a lurgan spade. But what was worse was he had a reputation for stealing hay. That was worse. The devil said, you'll end up like him. He's a Christian. He's the, boy. He's the big light around your village. <laughs> stealing hay. Huh? You know, thank God the evangelist said that night. He says, listen, don't look to any person. They'll all let you down. I'll let you down. I'll let you down. He said, Jesus will never let you down. He's perfect. He's perfect. My dear friends, you heard the story perhaps of the little boy. And the wee boy, he was waiting for Christmas. And dad had, it's only a Two, two years old or something, and the dad got all excited. I think he was more interested in the toys than the lad. But anyway, he got a train set for the wee lad. And he wrapped it all up in these boxes and paper and all, and had it all. And he left it, and the wee boy eventually came down and heard the wee boy laughing and jumping and going on and kahing. And he thought, I'll go down and see him. See what he thinks of this, this train set. And when he went down, the wee lad was playing with the boxes. <laughs> Through the train to the side. <laughs> and that's what the devil does with men and women. Listen, you're playing with the boxes. You're all tied up in this world and you have addictions and lust 
and your love of money and, and, and you live for yourself and you're playing with the boxes. A wee girl, on one occasion, she had, a, she had a wee rocking horse in the kitchen. Father used to come in, trip over, drove him mad, kicked it out of the way, hit it, sat it outside, always come in, sat in the kitchen. She was rocking on her, leaving it. And he got so weary, he took off one day of the, with, with, the, with the Land Rover and he went away and he got, a, he got this uh, Land Rover and brought home the trailer and got the wee girl out and says, come on, you want to see this? Opened the wee front door and out come a wee pony, a wee Shetland pony. He says to her, what do you think of that? Oh, that's lovely, Daddy. That's yours. Mine? Aye, that's yours. You'll have to feed it and you've look. I'll do that, Daddy. He says, tell me this, what about the rocking horse? Oh, we throw that out if you want. My friend, when you get the real thing, you'll drop the up, the, the, the negative, you'll drop the old rocking horse, you'll get rid of it when you get the real life. And when you get born again and come into the kingdom of God, you'll not need to be told not to go to the pub. You'll not need to be told not to go to the place of amusement. You'll not be, need to be told not to go to the prayer. You'll know it. You'll know it. You'll be at the prayer meeting. You'll be praying. You'll be seeking the Lord. If Jesus really lives in you, that's what happens. Oh, he'll not make you miserable. Jesus will give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He really will. Well, there have been people and they've said, Alan, I've tried it. I have come to the Lord. I've sought the Lord. But you know, I don't, I don't feel I don't feel anything. Ask him to save me. I don't feel it. Remember a woman on one occasion... And her husband got saved and she was ripping at him for she was brought up in the brethren. And he, he was brought up with anything but the brethren. He got saved before and boy, she was ripping at him. He got saved and I know the Bible and the gospel better than he does. How did he get saved and me not saved? So she started going to meetings and the husband said to me one night, he says she's here the night, but he says, boy, she's on tender hooks. He says she's like a devil going through the house. Oh, he says, pray for her. And she went along to that mission. Not long after, she came to the Lord, and I was talking to her, and she says, Alan, she says, one night, whenever I was in the meeting, she says, the evangelist was preaching, and he said, listen, it's not by what you feel. It's by faith. It's just by faith. You take the Lord at his word. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out you just believe him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. You just believe him. It's by a simple act of faith. There's people when they come to Jesus, they want trumpet voluntary. They want all the angels in heaven to arrive and say you're in. As someone said, if you want a good reaction after you get saved, eat a pound of cheese before you go to bed. You'll have all the reactions you want. My dear friends, it's not feelings. You come to Christ by faith. And finally, the devil says, oh, if you come to the Lord, if you put your faith in the Lord, you'll never keep it. <laughs> sure, look at you. Look at your past. Look at the life you've lived. You have never managed to keep anything. You couldn't, you couldn't keep one. You make res, uh, uh, resolutions every, every January. Sure, they're over inside a few days. You never could keep anything. There was a wee boy on one occasion, and he was on a train. 
And the wee boy was thinking about salvation. He had been to missions and meetings in his church. And he was 12 or 13, and he was thinking about getting saved. And a clergyman was sitting opposite him. He began to talk, and the wee boy said, You know, I would love to be a Christian, but my problem is I, I don't think I could keep it. The minister, thankfully, was a Christian, and he said to him, He said, Son, I want you to do something. He said, I want you to put a pen in the center of the palm of your hand, and I want you just to let it hold up on its own. See if you can do it. So the wee lad put the hand out and put the pen down, and he, he held it up, and he, oh, dear, dear, and he, he did it. Oh, well, oh, it's not happening. And he, he says, I can't do it. And the minister says, give it over to me. So we give it over to the minister, and the minister put his hand out, and he did that. The boy says, you're cheating. You're holding it. The minister says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says we are kept by the power of God. The same power that comes into you when you're saved, the same Jesus that comes to live inside you, he will keep you. And he promises, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Now, let me ask you in closing, why are you not saved? Why are you not a Christian? Jesus has done everything that needs to be done to get you to heaven. He doesn't want you to be doubting. He doesn't want you to come to the end of life and be hoping, trusting, thinking, praying. He wants you to know this night that you are his child and that you have been forgiven for all your sins. And if death were to come, you would be absent from this body and you would be present with the Lord. Jesus comes to you tonight by his Holy Spirit and he asks to enter into your life. I want to ask you in closing, would you let him in? Would you let Jesus come into your life? Would you be willing to turn away from your sin and repent of it? You say, Alan, that's my problem. I'd want to be a Christian, but Alan, the sin in my life is so strong. I could never overcome it. Well, I want to tell you and give you an exhortation and promise. The Bible says, as many as received Jesus, to them God gave power to become the sons of God. <laughs> yes, I know you have addictions. I know you have problems. I know you can't beat them. But Jesus can. And Jesus will give you power by his Holy Spirit living in you. Would you come to him tonight? Would you receive him as your Savior and as your Lord?